How does one go about introducing Oregon wine royalty? Today's guest has an email signature that says 37 harvest and counting. This accomplished veteran has participated in harvest all throughout the world while growing up amongst the very first vines planted in the Ribbon Ridge AVA. Please let me introduce to you Wynn Peterson Nedry. I hope you enjoy this chat and thank you so much for watching. Wynn, thank you so much for today. I appreciate you taking the time to get outside. It's like really crazy cold out there. It's really cold out there. This is abnormal for February for Oregon, I guess. You know, we could always have a snowstorm, but um, I guess <laughs> that was last year. Yeah, I guess it's sunny and that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. Uh, shall I pour us a little bit on? I would love to, yeah. Okay. I'm curious about what you brought. Well, <laughs> it's always difficult to try to figure out what to bring. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew not to bring a red because you love your whites. I do. Um, you know, and also to try to find something that is relatable mm -hmm. to you is even a little bit more difficult. You've done your research, I think. <laughs> well, I, I had, and you know, talking about research, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't realize that you were uh, part of royalty. <laughs> I watched uh, your interview with Leah Jorgensen, yeah. and like, I have to ask, <laughs> what is it like to be, you know, royalty and relationship to Prince Harry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that joke is not going away, is it? No, it's, it's not. Um, it's great. Yeah, he's wonderful to have as a father. <laughs> No, I think I'm actually older than Prince Harry, so that wouldn't really work very well. But um, as far as Oregon wine country royalty, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been fun to grow up in the Ribbon Ridge wine growing region for as long as I can remember. So my dad and mom bought that piece of property that we started um, back in the 80s, about six months after I was born. So it's wow. been there as long as I can remember. So it's basically like a... A sibling in land form. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. A Riesling? It is a Riesling, yes. Mm, it's nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Great to see you. Yes. It's kind of hard, you know, not to know that it's not a Riesling. Mm -hmm. I mean, Riesling has its own distinct characteristics to it. Mm -hmm. It's relatively young, but... Seems relatively young, but then again, that's the thing about Riesling that can fool you. It's how long it can age. Yes, that is true. Is it an Oregon Riesling? It is an Oregon Riesling. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I mean, I'm an Oregon guy, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. more than likely I'll bring an Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I'll think about it for a minute. Okay. Yeah, we'll return. <laughs> so when we were emailing back and forth, something that really struck me, and I don't think many people really know this. 37 harvest and counting. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, what? how old were you when you first started your first harvest? So the vineyards were planted in 1982, the oldest vines that we have. So their first harvest was, what would that be, 1984, 85? Yeah, somewhere thereabouts. Um, and so that's where the 37 comes from. I obviously haven't worked every single one of those harvests <laughs> myself. Right. Um, but my, my father's been around for every single one of them and, you know, played a major role in every single grape that's come off of that land. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been fun to grow up seeing the process evolve from starting a winery in our garage of the house I grew up in in Newburgh right. to being able to make our wine um, – pretty much exclusively 
myself, like I'm doing most of the decision making, I'm doing every step of the process. Um, and to have that complete control over something that's been evolving for 37 years is really cool. Um, so it's, it's definitely experience over time and a lot of troubleshooting at some point. And, um, I left, uh, Oregon for a number of years to try other things, you know, get my bearings in the world on my own and, you know, kind of explore other options, but it always brought me back to Oregon, having that, those deep roots in Ribbon Ridge and having grown up there for all intents and purposes. So, um, right. yeah, it's been, it's been an evolution of getting to know the land and knowing it probably as well as I know anything else in this world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine you were a little homesick when you actually left for, for that period of time. It was liberating, but I did miss every, you know, every milestone that happened here that I wasn't here for. So I went to college on the East Coast in Philadelphia, and wow. my dad would send me care packages with, you know, even though I was in college and might have been a year or two under legal drinking age, I would still get a bottle of wine here and there to share with my friends. And right. it always made me a little homesick, but I knew that it was always there for me if I wanted to come back. So, right. you know, being able to explore and do things and do harvest in Burgundy for six months and go to New Zealand and do harvest a couple times and spend time in California and learn about the wine industry there, which is, you know, pretty much the pinnacle of U.S. wine industry. Um, I disagree. I think Oregon's the pinnacle. It it's becoming it's becoming up there, but as far yeah. as like old school, <laughs> right, 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 I, U.S. I, yeah, I, 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 I love I love your um, your pushback on that though. I appreciate <laughs> that because being a true Oregonian, I I tend to agree sometimes. Yes. Um, but yeah, learning learning from people that aren't right here that right. have a global perspective um, that have perspective outside of Oregon and then bringing that knowledge back here I think was really important for me because <clears throat> I don't know I learned I learned a lot of my own feelings about wine and about what I wanted to do and then to come back here get back together with the family business and then find out that a lot of my thoughts about winemaking and about what I like to drink and what I want to make really aligned with what my dad already had in place. Right. So, you know, maybe it's a genetic thing and maybe it was <laughs> me growing up loving Riesling because my dad always loved Riesling or right. knowing about wine because my parents were both in wine. So it could be that, but it could also just be that he was on to something for a long, long time. <laughs> could be. Yeah. I'm curious, right? You you have always talked about your love for Shannon Blanc. Mm -hmm. And when you planted it in 2020, spring of 2020, mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I, you've been, you're going to have to wait a few years, but I've been waiting, I think you said like 10 or 15 years. Yep. Why did it take so long? And like, what was your obsession and like desire for Shannon Blanc? Um, probably the time that I spent in France really got me on to Shannon Blanc. Uh, I, I did a harvest in a kind of an internship with the Confrérie du Testavin, uh, the Chevalier. They, they sent two scholarships down to Davis and two graduates usually, um, got to go to Burgundy for six months. And I was one of the recipients in 2008. 
eight. So I went to Burgundy for six months. But before my internship started, the um, the wine group from Davis, the Davis Enology and Viticulture Organization, mm-hmm. Devo, um, which is like a student organization. We did a trip to Burgundy and to the Loire and to um, Cognac and Bordeaux and all over France. And so for two weeks, we kind of traveled around France and tasted wine and set up um, some great appointments with some really great chateaus and domains around the country. And we spent probably three, three days in the Loire. And during my time there, I really got into the Shannons that were there. Um, so that was probably my first real focus on it. And then coming back to Oregon and knowing that there's so many great white wines here, but Shannon was very much underrepresented, made me want to see what we could do here in Oregon with it. So when I started back with my family business at Shehalem in 2009 as the assistant winemaker. It was always kind of in the back of my mind. Right. I would make the suggestion once in a while, <laughs> um, but it never really came to fruition because, you know, we were focused on a much bigger perspective at Shehalem. We had vineyards in three different um, viticultural areas that we were pulling in fruit from. We did a number of different wines, probably maybe too many wines for, you know, the size of our winery. It was a lot of smaller production, single vineyard focused wines. So I don't think there was the scope that allowed us to add another weird white wine that most people (laughs) in the U.S. might not know a whole lot about. So it took until my father and I separated from Shehalem and we started planting some new grapevines up on Ribbon Ridge that... You know, I made the suggestion again, <laughs> hey, what do you think about planting a little Shenan? So as we were planting four acres of Chardonnay, we tacked on an acre of Shenan vines to our order from the nursery and Yay. found a slightly warmer spot in the vineyard to put it. Right. And yeah, it went in. And because of how vigorous Shenan Blanc is um, compared to things like Chardonnay. We planted Chardonnay and Shannon at basically the same time, but the Chardonnay will not be ready this harvest, Um, but the Shannon will. So Mm -hmm. probably 2022 will be our first vintage of some Shannon Blanc. Oh, I'm sure you're very happy about that. Yeah, I'm psyched. I I bought a little concrete egg so we can do some some concrete nice. fermented Shannon and maybe maybe we'll do some neutral oak Shannon or maybe right. some stainless steel. So I'm still figuring out in my mind how like what style I want to do. Um, I've never actually made Shannon before, but I've made plenty of white wines, so can't be that that different, right? <laughs> no, of course not. No, that that's awesome though. Yeah. Con- congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about it. That that is that is great. So you're talking about concrete eggs. Mm-hmm. Um. So I know at like a double zero, they were doing some some amphoras and whatnot. Yep. Are they getting into the concrete fermenters? Um, we did buy two concrete fermenters last year for double okay. zero. Um, so we used those for the first time in 2021 for some Pinot fermentation. Interesting. I really liked them. Um, okay. I really like the concrete. It's breathable, similar to how wood fermenters are breathable. So it doesn't keep the fermentation too reductive like stainless steel can, especially for red, red wines. That's the same reason I like neutral oak barrels for white fermentation. 
um, especially for, I don't know, anything that has high acid, I think kind of needs to breathe a little bit while it's fermenting. Um, and it usually imparts a texture that you wouldn't have if it was something more sterile like stainless steel. So um, in my first year working with concrete, I thought it was great. It is a little bit more care intensive, you know, in the off season. So okay. just like amphora, just like wooden tanks, you do have to keep them treated and sound while they aren't filled with wine. So that's one more step of the process, but it, I think it's well worth it. Right. No, it, it's, it's interesting to, to be in a person on the outside, mm -hmm. you know, looking in and, you know, you get, you understand barrels then you understand stainless and then there's amphora. And I was like, holy cow. And the concrete is just like, yeah, it's a, uh, it's fascinating on my side. Yeah to see all the different possibilities and see what, what can actually occur. And I think that's one of the fun things about doing experimentation in wineries is that you're able to have that historical knowledge of what these different fermentation vessels do. I wish there was a way we could share it more easily with right. everybody out there that's interested in that. Um, I think experimentation and education of the people that are interested in learning these things is really important. Um, we've always done experimentation in our winemaking, regardless of, um, where we are. So I made a Syrah for a couple of years in 17 and 18, and we, having not made Syrah before for Ribbon Ridge, because we don't grow Syrah here, I traded with somebody in Walla Walla for it. Right. Um, we weren't sure what kind of closure to put it under, you know, I figured out the winemaking side of it. I've made a little Syrah in some of my... Um, my previous harvests abroad, but I had never had to think about the closure. And we, on the Ridgecrest side of things, um, always use screw caps. But when it came to Syrah, which is a little tighter and would probably need more air to really evolve so that it's at a an appropriate point to drink more readily, um, right. we played around with some cork finished closures too. And instead of just keeping that within the winery for ourselves to learn from, we basically split our Syrah bottling into half. Um, so the first part of the Syrah went into the bottling truck and screw caps were put on it. And then the second part went through and corks were put on it. So we have these two side-by-side -side comparisons of cork versus screw cap on the same exact wine, same exact bottling date, same exact everything right. other than the closure. So other people can learn about what they prefer. You know, what I choose to do for my wine isn't always what everybody would choose, and that's fine, but at least we're giving you the option to see the differences, which is, I think is important it for is. a wine consumer side of things. Right. How much fun is it if you know everything already? It, so it's, it's not fun at all. Which is why we like wine, because I'm not ever going to know everything. You're no. not ever going to know anything. There There's always no, more to learn. There is. So, there is. Yeah, I think that's what keeps things interesting, and so changing up the vessels of fermentation can make things interesting. And maybe my Shannon would be different completely than those same grapes that I sell to somebody else and they make a wine from. Right. Um, similar to maybe like this Riesling in front of us. Possibly. <laughs> Does this come from our fruit? I'm not going to say. <laughs> oh, we have to wait till the end. Yes. Some things have to be... Um have to be a surprise. 
I, it, it could be Ribbon Ridge fruit is what I'm saying. So that's okay. going to be my, my next piece of input. That's fair enough. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, talking about legacy, right? Mm -hmm. You mean you, you went off, you know, to kind of explore and figure out then came back. Mm -hmm. And I know your son's name is Julian, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's going to have all of those same roots embedded inside of him as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure knowing you and like the, you're going to give him the ability to like go explore and do whatever, but like legacy, like there is such a history already here, mm -hmm. right? With your dad and you, I mean, do you feel a teeny bit of pressure to continue that legacy? Um, just like it was up to me, I'm going to leave it up to him too. Right. It is a little nerve wracking. I hope he does come back, but right. I'm never going to pressure him if he decides that he's an artist or, you know, a soccer player or, you know, whatever, whatever. else. Right, right. I, I will fully support that and he will always have a winery to come back to. Um, but... Yeah, it would be great to see it continue in the family. I hope that we can continue to build on the amazing space that we have up there and hopefully one day have a winery up there, maybe a residence. I was hoping to live up there at some point. I know my dad was too, but, you know, things go at different paces than what we plan. And so we'll see. We'll see if that happens. And if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. I mean... Place is temporary, and if it's meant to move on to somebody else at some point, then it will. Um, but if it's meant to stay in the family, then I know he would do a great job with it. So he and he and Harry, my dad, share a birthday also. So I feel like their their mentality and a lot of their personality traits will be fairly similar. So I know he would be driven and as attached to the land as all the other, you know, his predecessors so. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes no and I, and I know that you would give him his own his own space to yeah. spread his own wings yep but you know i just tried to put myself in your shoes and i'm like but like <laughs> legacy <laughs> it just be that would be so difficult everybody's got a legacy of some kind and maybe it's a good thing that my dad decided not to raise cattle in North Carolina and start his own thing. You know, if Julian finds a different path that he enjoys, then right. great. Maybe yeah. it's actually better for him <laughs> and for the whole family. Right. So, No, yeah. I, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the artwork on the Ridgecrest uh, labels. Yep. You know, I've heard you talk about, um, you know, your dad doing the artwork mm -hmm. and he barely takes any credit for it and you're constantly kind of like but you did that you did that mm -hmm. what like how did that how did you uh, i don't even know how to ask this question right oh <laughs> um, how did it all come about i mean did you see him like sketching stuff and encourage him to do the artwork was it his like own idea to do the artwork like how did it all come about i have always gotten his art um as gifts it's something that for birthdays and christmas and whatever i have requested from him um he's always been a painter it, it's he's usually been 
doing acrylic painting. He's done that since he was in high school to some extent. Um, and so family vacations when I was young, he would always be like painting the lake that we are staying at wow. or drawing or doing something like that that's artistic. And he's always had a passion for art. And at Shehalem, our first labels for decades, in fact, was a piece of art that he had found from a local artist that he loved. Um, and so we continued on that art path for labels for Shehalem. And when we left, the RR brand had already been well established, the little, uh, the little circular label. But when we decided to start the Ridgecrest label, we had to kind of start from square one and try to come up some, with something that was meaningful, but also not too hokey, of course. You know, coming up with a brand and a label is a lot more challenging <laughs> because I don't have that men mental capacity to do a lot of, like, design. I'm not a design person. I'm not as artistic as my father. But seeing the work that he's always done towards art and his passion for it um, led me to kind of steer my focus that direction. And he's always done these amazing pen and inks as far as, you know, whether it's the background to a painting he wants to do, and so he sketches it out first and then fills it in with color, or whether it's just the pen and ink on its own. I've always loved those. So I got to thinking, and I think maybe he had done some landscapes recently that were maybe of the French countryside. I know he, he and Dee Dee, his partner, have they've traveled to Burgundy and Champagne, and he always sketches and paints when he's on these trips. So I think I got one of those as a gift for maybe Christmas of 2017 or whatever. In 2018, we were coming up with our label ideas, and I asked him to go up to the vineyard and maybe do a few sketches there. And so that's pretty much where the Pinot Noir label was born. That was the first one that really caught my eye. Um, and I asked him for his permission to use these as labels and to design a concept around them for our labels. And he was really hesitant. And he was like, no, no, I, I think that's a, a, I don't know if that's a good idea. He just got this award for um, from the Oregon Wine Board during the symposium, and he talked in his acceptance speech about how he always liked to be in the background, and he doesn't like the focus to be on him, and that's always been the case. He's been very humble about that kind of thing. So when I asked him to use his drawings as our label, he kind of did that, scoot around, <laughs> try to find another option, Right. and I told him if he didn't like that, option maybe he could come up with some ideas of his own and he's similar to me and design is not his forte and I think branding is not something he's really interested in so he kind of gave in and let us come up with some prototypes with his drawings in them and ended up liking them quite a bit so um, I got the green light to go ahead and use those and he would come up with new drawings for whichever wines we needed a new drawing for. <clears throat> he refuses to have his name as the the artist on the back but if you know you know and there's a little hpn in the corner of all of the drawings so very nice you can see it but he just won't let us give him much credit <laughs> except for this this is my format i tell as many people as i can exactly we gotta get the word out yeah. there <laughs> definitely yeah he's he's silly he's humble but 
almost to the point where take some credit for these. These are amazing drawings. They are. They so, are really great. I I'm can't glad wait. you appreciate them. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I can't wait to see what he does for the Shannon Blanc. I know. Me too. Yes. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to think outside the block box here a little bit, but um, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fine. There are only so many drawings of grapes you can have so <laughs> i'm sure he can come up with something he will maybe it's going to be an egg or something <laughs> so you talked about the rr brand being mm -hmm. you know stable and then you did you know started ridgecrest mm -hmm. personally i've always been kind of confused why don't didn't you just keep everything underneath rr or are you trying to phase out RR and trying to make everything ridgecrest i'm i've been kind of confused so rr has always kind of been our top tier brand. So when we were at Shehalem, um, we would select our favorite barrels for the Shehalem Reserve Pinot Noir and the RR Pinot. And they were completely different styles. So the Shehalem Reserve was kind of more elegant and delicate and, you know, perfumey. The RR was always more robust, um, a little bit beefier, a little bit chewier and tannin um, structure. And then also very epitome of ribbon ridge fruit for us. So kind of the best of the best. And so we've always kind of had it as something that we don't want to blow up too much, you know? Okay. We don't want to make too much of it. We want to keep it as a barrel selection, a small quantity, a hard to get type of um, experience. So to make everything in that brand didn't make sense to us. We do one Riesling and one Pinot under RR, and that's going to be it. And so that's kind of our reserve tier. Okay. Maybe when we start making Chardonnay, we'll put a Chardonnay up there too. That's TBD. We'll find out. Right. Um, but we wanted something that evoked our sense of place. So much like my dad's artwork for the labels, um, we wanted the the brand itself to really speak for the diversity that we have up on Ridgecrest, as well as not making it too intimidating, you know? Um, right. We want these to be accessible wines. We want these to be wines that we put a lot of thought and effort into, but aren't outside the realm of opening on a random Tuesday night, you know? Right. The RR, that should be more like, it's your birthday, let's open a nice bottle of wine. The Ridgecrest is like, you know, it has a lot of the same pedigree. The Pinot Noir comes from a lot of the same fruit and, a, in fact, a lot of the same fermenters that the RR does. It's just some different barrels. So less oak impact, you know, a little bit more approachable earlier on. Um, so just a notch down on the seriousness factor. Oh, that so, makes sense. And the the tasting, you know, mm -hmm. for Ridgecrest, mm -hmm. um. I'll never forget it, right? I, I coordinated it with John to, to do the tasting. Up at the yurt? Yes. Okay. And he tells us, you know, hey, you know, it's going to be in the yurt. And the yurt is just fabulous. Cool. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I think John said that, you know, during harvest that, you know, you sleep there and you know, you're out there amongst the grapes. Mm -hmm. And uh, whose idea was it to, to do the yurt? And just like it's, it is, to me, the quintessential organ tasting experience. Thanks. Yeah, it's very Oregon and it was never intended to be a tasting experience per se. Right. I mean, it was always going to be like my little hideout. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was like where I went to escape from 
the bigger picture of things. So when my dad and I left Shehalem, that was, he left in February, I left in March of 2018. After we both left, I had a little free time on my hands. So I had maybe six months until harvest, and that was really the next thing that I had planned. Um, so waiting for grapes to ripen, um, I went on, you know, a trip with my mother to Europe. I did some stuff around town here, you know, got caught up on my sleep from, you know, a good eight years of working my butt off. And I had, um, I had this idea that I wanted to really spend more time up on Ridgecrest, um, because that is the vineyard that we left to focus on. That is where the new brand was coming out of. And I thought to reconnect with this land a little bit more, it would be fun to have a place to stay. Camping is one of the things that I like to do with my free time. Um, I had a dog that loved being in the vineyard. And it sounded like there would be nothing better than spending a weekend in the summertime watching meteor showers or whatever up in our vineyard. Right. So. I found this awesome company um, around Eugene that makes yurts, and instead of like building a little mini cabin, which was like a tiny home, I was thinking about that too. Guess what? A yurt is a lot easier. <laughs> it is a little bit easier, yeah. maybe a little bit cheaper. I think they actually penciled out to be about the same. Oh my goodness. But I, my construction prowess is not something that I really wanted to tackle a whole tiny home so i don't blame you i just went with the yurt all i had to do was build a level platform on which to build the yurt and um so i did that with my free summer so i built the foundation i leveled everything i built the um, platform structure with a couple of friends and then went down and got the yurt had a couple other friends help me put it up right and since then it's been like our little weekend escape Unless, of course, there are a lot of tastings out there. So once we started Ridgecrest um, fully and we brought John on board, we did realize that we needed a fun tasting experience other than I love the studio. I love the Carlton Winemaker Studio where we make our wine, but it's not always the easiest to taste there. And there's something about being in the middle of the vineyard that's really special, and that's what we love about that land yeah. is being up there and experiencing the place where the grapes are grown. It, it's amazing. I mean, when I say quintessential, I mean, you, you drive down your little dirt road and you're like, am I going in the right spot? I don't <laughs> know. I'm going through the vineyard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John's out there waiting for you. You come to a big bank of trees and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's the yurt. And I didn't even know I was going to be tasting in a yurt, mm -hmm. you know, so that was even more of a surprise. Mm -hmm. That was... I'll, I'll never forget that. That was Good. amazing. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. And it really helps that my partner, Rob, is um, into construction. He he does home remodels in his as his profession. So um, we were able to put a nice porch on the yurt as well. And we're probably even going to expand that over the next couple of years and make it a little bit bigger and a little bit more um, accommodating. So... Hopefully there's more to come. Maybe even a second year, you never know. <laughs> that would be amazing. You could like do an Airbnb or yeah. something for it. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I would sign sign me up. I'll do it. Your camping party, multiple pods. Oh that sounds fun, but it could also be a little bit of trouble too. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> That's why we haven't done it yet. I don't blame you. <laughs> um 
the the PGI status that mm -hmm. your dad has been working on. Mm -hmm. How long has he been working on that for? Um, I think total, he started thinking about it around the same time that we that he helped apply for the viticultural AVA, the AVA status of say Ribbon Ridge and Shehalem Mountains and all of those. So those were all put in in what, 2005, 2006. So about wow. that same time it was on his radar. And I think, um, in going to a couple of the, the meetings of the PGI, um, during whatever Provine or trips to Europe, um, for sales and whatnot, I think it got on his radar as more of a a thing that probably needed to be addressed soon. So from what I remember, and again, I was gone until 2009, so I wasn't here for all of that. He's been working on it since pretty much I got back to the U.S. Um, from Davis and from Burgundy and from New Zealand. So I'd say 2009, 2010, and he really wrapped it up. He was supposed to go to Geneva the spring, summer that COVID started. So he was going to present in front of the UN wow. all of his work. And he'd already done it once before, but um, he was going back for a second visit during that time. So that was, what, about 10 years later? Um, and then it just got accepted last year. So That's amazing. Yeah. Please tell me that he liked the at least he celebrated and hopefully like you as a family kind of celebrated the achievement. We definitely did. And I'm, I don't know how to say like how, how proud I am to have him as my dad. It's, right. <laughs> it, no, it, 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 it's, it's amazing to see the passion that he has for this industry right. and the passion that he has for raising the level that we're all participating at, you know, not just our family vineyard. And this is something that he's always done is almost, you know, prioritize the valley and other people over what he's doing. So um, to see him really succeed and gain so much accreditation for our industry, which I think is well-deserved, um, it's really, it's nice to know that he's coming from a place of wanting to better everybody. And it makes me really proud. So yeah, I, would, I would be proud as well. I, and I have yeah. to tell you, um, when I visited mm -hmm. and, you know, I saw the, the slogan, you know, a dad, a daughter and a hill, mm -hmm. it just grabbed my heart. Aww. Right. I mean, it's just, I mean, I do what I can for mm -hmm. my daughter to like, and that bond is so important. And yep. to, just like what you and your dad have done up there, it is it is truly special Thanks. and remarkable, and I wish more people would hear it and, you know knew about it. And yeah, just like I definitely feel extremely <clears throat> lucky to have somebody like that as a role model, and also to be able to work side by side with him now um, for as long as I can. You know, right? We're partners in the winery venture. Um, he actually gave me majority own ownership. <laughs> after we started it <laughs> right. um he he manages all the vineyards so that's his his project and i do the wine side of things um but to have learned so much from him over over the years of him making wine and 
now me making wine and him making recommendations. Um, it's really amazing. So, and he comes out every, every time we sort fruit, he'll be out there making sure the fruit looks good coming in off the truck and then, you know, being there to sort through it and make sure our, our vessels are getting the best fruit possible and tasting through barrels in the spring and summer and making vintage selections with me. So just having him along for the ride and continuing to gain knowledge from him and hopefully bringing some home to him as well as always. It's amazing. I wish, I mean, not everybody's family businesses <laughs> operate smoothly and I can understand that. Not everybody gets an opportunity to have a family business and I feel extremely fortunate for that. But right. yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. That's just... It, it's heartwarming. Thanks. You're I, I agree. <laughs> and yeah, I'm warmed. Oh, um, I've heard that um, there was like a Riesling group mm -hmm. for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Is it still around? Um, so the Riesling group, meaning the exchange of fruit that we did well, or no, like, just the... like. It's the like lovers of Riesling. The lovers of Riesling would kind of get together mm -hmm. and kind of help one another out, you know, for mm -hmm. Oregon Riesling and everything. Just like that hasn't happened for a while. I feel like the the smaller groups that used to exist in that capacity, um, similar to the Riesling group, there was a group called Orca, which is Oregon Chardonnay Alliance, and so a bunch of people would get together and talk about Chardonnay as well, and that slowly evolved and um has since disappeared i don't know if these i think these groups kind of fell by the wayside perhaps or got overshadowed by everybody's day-to-day -day busyness as the valley expanded and gained a lot more interest and new wineries in the past probably like six or seven years i would say Makes sense. So that group hasn't been together for a long time, but I did, we did used to trade some fruit with Brooks mm -hmm. and with Trisadum and do like a little three by three, three vineyards and three winemakers. And so it ended up being like a nine pack of um, wine that we had made from each other's fruit, which was really cool. A land versus hand type of experiment. Again, with the experimentation being important. Um, that was really, really fun. Um, and we haven't done that for since I left Shehalem either. So um, probably 2017 was the last vintage of that. I would love to start doing more of these things um, as I have a little bit more time. You know, having a one-year-old might not be the best time to try to tackle something like that, but maybe in a couple years when right. <laughs> he's a little bit <laughs> more independent and on a normal schedule, we can start to branch out and do more collaborative things like that. But the collaboration that these groups brought and the shared knowledge that people had from participating in these tastings and sharing information with one another is something that I think is pretty unique to Oregon and something that I hope lasts forever. Um, I think that's the one thing about the Oregon wine industry that I hope never changes, even as we do get bigger, have, you know, foreign entities coming in and buying properties. And I think those are all great things as long as the collaborative nature remains in Oregon. You know, it may, I hope so too. Yeah. And I think that there will always be an undertone mm -hmm. of that collaboration, no matter what. Mm -hmm. 
you just might as well look a little bit more. Yep. Yep. For it. And there are always going to be gr I have a women winemaker group that I'm part of that we get together as often as we can. It's maybe we try for once a month and maybe we get every other month or so. Um, and obviously during COVID, it kind of slowed down a little bit, but we're still active and we still, we got together right around the holidays and that's great. it's a great place to bounce ideas off of one another. And there are seven of us. That's, that's yeah. great. I, I saw a, uh, an interview that, um, uh, I think Oregon wine put together mm -hmm. with you, Jessica Mazeko. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the other participants off the top of my head, but that was a great interview. Was Anna Matzinger in that one? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was fun. That was for Mother's Day last year. And um, yeah, it's it's amazing once you dive into the industry, you can always find a group of similarly minded people or similar background people um, for the most part. I know that a lot of the wine industry is white male dominated and there's you know, there's historical precedents for that, but I think the emerging um, BIPOC and the diversity, um, lots of women in the wine industry, especially in the production side, is really fun to see, and I think yeah. em Oregon embraces it better than almost anywhere else. As far as um, my women winemaker group and I have discussed, I, from what we can tell, we probably have a larger percentage of women winemakers and viticulturalists and cellar workers than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. No, it, it's amazing so, to see. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, when I interviewed Jessica, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know much about her. Yeah. But as I started going deeper and deeper, I'm like, holy cow. She's amazing. She's she is, really great. And yeah. she's Another one of those people that's kind of behind the scenes a lot, even though she's running her own brand and making the wine. Right. She definitely keeps a low profile. And I feel like sometimes when when you don't have the background in marketing or selling yourself or you aren't naturally inclined to be a salesperson, but you just love what you do so much, which I would probably put myself in that category. Um, it's about the passion of your work and enjoying what you're doing every day right if you love what you do it's you never work a day in your life isn't that what somebody said exactly so um yeah as much as as much as i want to be acknowledged for and recognized for the hard work and effort that i put in and that my father's put into building this vineyard and this brand and this legacy I do it because I love it and it's interesting and I'm creating something and it's. And there you get to see an actual end result. Yeah. Right. And it, the end result lasts for years and years and mm -hmm. years and you get to see it age and you get to see it transform. And every vintage is different and every wine is different and you can never replicate it. It's not a cookie cutter type of product that, you know. I'm not making Budweiser. It's not going to be the same year after year, and nobody expects it to be if nope. you know about wine. Um, and that's the cool thing to see is, all right, maybe I didn't like exactly the way that this wine turned out last year. I have next year to try to fine-tune it, and I'm kind of a perfectionist, so <laughs> I like that that ability to try again. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I have a completely off-the-wall Random question. Those are my you. favorite. Go for it. <laughs> so I was talking with a 
Doug Adams, professor at UC Davis. <laughs> and uh, he mentioned you might be able to describe the method of uh, <laughs> the deabsorption of uh, tannins from the grape ball. So, yeah, my, my master's thesis was on, um, yeah, tannin extraction in Pinot Noir and the rebinding process. So um, we should talk to Jenny Schultz about that um, from, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking? Jolie Laid Winery um, down in California. She took over my research project oh, okay. for me. <laughs> she was the year behind me. Um but from what I recall, there is no correspondence between the tannin that you find in your Pinot Noir grape when you pick it and exactly how much will be in that bottle um, of wine at the end. So that was okay. kind of my overall thesis. Um, there's some bound tannin. There's some unbound tannin. Right. Depends on if you have stems present during fermentation. Some of them rebind to stems more actively than they would rebind to the grape skin. I love that you talked to Doug Adams. No, I, I, I did not. <laughs> um, so funny. I was uh, at Elevé on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tom. Tom put you up to this. He well, was in Doug's lab also. <laughs> yes. So I was like, you know, do you have any off-the-wall questions I can, might be able to ask when? He's like, ah, oh, you got to do this. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Yeah. I peeled so many Pinot Noir berries that year. I can imagine. It froze them in liquid nitrogen and then used a little razor blade and peeled off the skin and like isolated every piece separately. It was crazy. I could, <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. It was really fun though. I, I very much enjoyed my time at UC Davis and I learned a lot and it was also, you know, it's a master's program for wine. It's pretty fun and very educational. And Of course. I yeah. learned a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> So would you consider wine art? I think it's half art and half science. I think there's a fine balance there. Um, I think you can make really good wine if you come at it purely from an art standpoint, and you can make really good wine if you come at it from a purely science standpoint. But I think the best wine is when you incorporate both. Um, yeah. I, I think... I think the chemistry of what's happening in the grape and how you pick it based on ripeness and acid and pH are all important. But um, I think if you pick with those numbers in mind and flavors, flavors are the purely perceptive art, you know, right. intuitive side of things. I think those are the best. Yeah. That, so. that makes sense. Is that an, is that too direct a question or no, too direct no, no, an no. answer. No, it's great. It's great. That's great. Yeah, I would say both. Fair enough. Is um, that a common question? What what answers do you normally get back? What do you think? I think it's it has to be both. I mean, it can't be all instinctual. Mm -hmm. Because you I mean, you do need to go out into the field and like measure pH levels, measure the bricks, like what's going on because you just can't uh, figure it out just by looking at them or I mean maybe you can if you've been doing it for 50 years or whatever but I think the key part is the microbiology once it gets into the cellar too and that's pretty important to monitor from a scientific point of view because you could have a great idea of when to pick fruit out in the vineyard but if you bring it into the winery and then some microbiological thing happens because 
the pH is out of whack and you haven't sulfured it or whatever, right. and used your science background, then it goes sideways. So, yeah. And we don't want it to go sideways. No. no that would be awful. No, we want, we want all the wine we can drink, especially <laughs> after these short years. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, all right. I have some rapid fire questions. Uh-oh. Okay. <clears throat> Who is your favorite artist to listen to during harvest? I love David Bowie. He is one of my all-time favorites. Um, but for a harvest beat, you need something with a like a little bit more of a driving rhythm. So sometimes Led Zeppelin is really up there. Okay. I'm a classics type of girl a lot of the time. Or as far as current current artists go, I really like The Weeknd. Okay. It's kind of mellow. Right. But and it's still, got a good beat, too. Yeah. Your favorite indulgent food? Mm, I love lasagna. Mm. So uh, I'm going to tangent a little bit. Yeah. I've been, my daughter's been on a lasagna kick. Yes. And so the, the base of the lasagna that, that I end up making for her mm-hmm. has like a white sauce in it. Mm-hmm. Growing up, to me, it's all been about red sauce, mm-hmm. meat, cheese, noodle. Mm-hmm. What is your lasagna? The most recent lasagna I made was a crab lasagna. Oh, my gosh. And that had a bechamel sauce. But typically, I'm a red sauce type of girl. Okay. Sometimes I like both, though. If you put red sauce on the bottom to keep it from sticking to the pan, and then always do the ricotta spinach mix. Right. And then some sautéed veggies. And then the red sauce usually has some sausage or something in it. And then a layer of bechamel. Oh. So kind of a pink sauce. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the for me the the I freaking butter the heck out of the pan. Okay. Then the bechamel mm-hmm. and then lasagna noodles, another bechamel, then mm-hmm. some red sauce, some mm-hmm. cheese. Yep, so you do the pink sauce thing too. Yeah. yeah, I like I like both for different reasons. Something like crab, you have to have a white sauce though. You can't have you can't have red sauce with crab. No, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> That'd be sacrilege. <laughs> if you could choose a superpower, what would it be? I would want to fly. Wouldn't we all? That'd be amazing. (laughs) Your harvest notes, are they digital or handwritten? Mm. Um, The to-do list is handwritten, and then I put it into a record-keeping database that is on the computer. Can I ask what the database is? I use IVIS. Um, IVIS is very old-school Oregon, and a lot of people have... um, maybe changed to a different platform, but I've been using Ivis for so long. And Hector, who is the owner and the creator of Ivis, is such a lovely man. Um, So I just, I use it so I can talk to him on the phone (laughs) and figure (laughs) out what I'm doing. And then it it does all my year-end taxes and stuff for me, and it's just great. That's awesome. keeps track of everything, and it's very, I know how to use it at this point. I've used it for 13 years, so. Nice. I was going to say 37. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was a... We didn't I, have computers I, I, 37 no, years ago. No, no. <laughs> Who is your favorite superhero? Um, Wonder Woman. Nice. No, She-Ra. She was, oh, She-Ra my was gosh. my favorite back when I was oh, a kid. Wow. I She-Ra forgot about She-Ra. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go She-Ra. Nice. <laughs> and then what was the last book you read? Um... I am reading In the Woods by Tana French. 
Okay. <clears throat> so that's the most recent one that I'm physically reading. Nice. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been reading it for probably since Julian was born. <laughs> I don't have a lot of free time to just read a book. No, no, I understand. Um, so most of my books are actually audiobooks. So during my hour-long commute out to Carlton and back, each way is an hour. So I have plenty of time for online I do Audible. That. I do that all the time. Well, what was the last audio, Audible book that you... I am revisiting the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. Oh. So I'm on the third book right now. That's what I'm listening to in the car. Nice. Otherwise... I think when I started working out at the Carlton Winemaker Studio, I was that's when I really started doing the audiobook thing and I listened to a lot of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I felt like I was having really weird dreams. <laughs> and it was maybe messing with my psyche a little too much. A little bit it can happen. So, now I pepper in the Stephen King, so I'll do like something different and like historical fiction like all the Light We Cannot See, that was a really good one. Um, and, yeah, so things that aren't Stephen King peppered in with some Stephen King, so it's not too full-on I, 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 I <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Have you done the, the Dark Tower series? I've listened to one of the Dark Towers, the first one. Okay. I haven't gone down the rabbit hole into that series quite yet. <laughs> it's, it is. So I started that series when it first started. Mm-hmm. I think it took like 10 or 15 years for him to finish the series. Is it done? He's done writing it now? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll go into... I was wondering what I'm going to listen to next. And um, Rob and I share an Audible account. So okay. everything that I download, he listens to also. So because he does construction and renovations, right. he's listening to audiobooks all day long too. Like Probably imagine. more than me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'll do the Dark Tower series. I think... The first one of that was when I was like, this is getting me into a weird rabbit hole. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not scary. No. But it, it, it's, it is. It's like otherworldly and like right. apocalyptic a little bit. Kind of like, did you read The Stand or listen yes. to The Stand? Yeah. yeah. yeah kind of yeah. like that one. <laughs> so I was going to say, so like, you know, Randall Flagg in The Stand mm -hmm. is a major character in the Dark Tower series. And I think that's why I listened to the first one and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to dedicate a lot of time if I'm going to go through the whole series <laughs> of the Dark Tower. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to read uh, Eyes of the Dragon again, Okay, which was more around the uh, Merlin time frame. Yep. And Randall Flagg played an important role in oh, that okay. as well. Cool. So. Have you done 11-22-63? I tried to do that one. That's one of my favorites. Okay, I need. I'll, I'll. I'll do that one. It takes a little bit to get into it, but once you get into it, it's really good. That's all the movie. <laughs> yep, it's not as good. Uh, it, it. They. They never no. are, especially Stephen King. I mean, he's. They're like eight hundred page books, right? So how are they going to encompass all of that into like a even a mini series? Right. No, it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, give that one another shot. I all think right, it's really worth it. I'll do that. Right. Maybe so I, on audiobook though, because then somebody else is reading it for you. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. Shall I reveal the wine? Yes. Okay. So you're pretty spot on. Definitely Oregon Riesling. Definitely oh. uh, Ribbon Ridge. Yes. Ah, yep. The Elevé Ridgecrest. I love that. Yes. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> for real this time. <laughs> oh, here. Oh, and he does the IRF too. That's great. Yes. Yep. Awesome. I love it. It's yeah. really good. It is. He it does is. such a great job with, with the Riesling. 
He does. I love everything that he does out there. Mm -hmm. Did you go, have you been tasting there? You said last weekend. Yeah, I went there on Saturday. Well, thank you for bringing this. This is a pleasure. Yes. Well, thank you. And it's for a great this. time to, yeah, it's been fun to chat with you. Yes. Today. Most definitely. Well, thank you again. Thanks. Yes. Cheers. Cheers.